It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And today begins Part 2 of The Valley of Fear. Part 2 is titled The Scourers. And now begins Part 2, Chapter 1, The Man. It was the 4th of February in the year 1875. It had been a severe winter, and the snow lay deep in the gorges of the Gilmerton Mountains. The steam plows had, however, kept the railroad open, and the evening train which connects the long line of coal mining and iron-working settlements was slowly groaning its way up the steep gradients which led from Stagville on the plain to Vermissa, the central township which lies at the head of Vermissa Valley. From this point the track sweeps downward to Barton's Crossing, Helmdale, and the purely agricultural county of Merton. It was a single-track railroad, but at every siding, and they were numerous, long lines of trucks piled with coal and iron ore told of the hidden wealth which had brought a rude population and a bustling life to this most desolate corner of the United States of America. For desolate it was. Little could the first pioneer who had traversed it ever have imagined that the forest prairies and the most lush water pastures were valueless compared to this gloomy land of black crag and tangled forest. Above the dark and often scarcely penetrable woods upon their flanks, the high, bare crowns of the mountains, white snow, and jagged rock towered upon each flank, leaving a long, winding, tortuous valley in the center. Up this the little train was slowly crawling. The oil lamps had just been lit in the leading passenger car, a long bare carriage in which some twenty or thirty people were seated. The greater number of these were workmen returning from their day's toil in the lower part of the valley. At least a dozen, by their grimed faces and the safety lanterns which they carried, proclaimed themselves miners. These sat smoking in a group and conversed in low voices, glancing occasionally at two men on the opposite side of the car, whose uniforms and badges showed them to be policemen. Several women of the laboring class and one or two travelers who might have been small local storekeepers made up the rest of the company, with the exception of one young man in a corner by himself. It is with this man that we are concerned. Take a good look at him, for he is worth it. 
"'He is a fresh-complexioned, middle-sized young man, "'not far, one would guess, from his thirtieth year. "'He has large, shrewd, humorous gray eyes "'which twinkle inquiringly from time to time "'as he looks round through his spectacles at the people about him. "'It is easy to see that he is of a sociable "'and possibly simple disposition, "'anxious to be friendly to all men.' "'Anyone could pick him at once as gregarious in his habits "'and communicative in his nature, "'with a quick wit and a ready smile. "'And yet the man who studied him more closely "'might discern a certain firmness of jaw "'and grim tightness about the lips "'which would warn him that there were depths beyond, "'and that this pleasant, brown-haired young Irishman "'might conceivably leave his mark for good or evil "'upon any society to which he was introduced. "'Having made one or two tentative remarks "'to the nearest miner, "'and receiving only short, gruff replies, the traveller resigned himself to uncongenial silence, staring moodily out of the window at the fading landscape. It was not a cheering prospect. Through the growing gloom there pulsed the red glow of the furnaces on the sides of the hills. Great heaps of slag and dumps of cinders loomed up on each side, with the high shafts of the collieries towering above them. Huddled groups of mean, wooden houses, the windows of which were beginning to outline themselves in light, were scattered here and there along the line, "'and the frequent halting-places were crowded with their swarthy inhabitants. "'The iron and coal valleys of the Vermissa district "'were no resorts for the leisured or the cultured. "'Everywhere there were stern signs of the crudest battle of life, "'the rude work to be done, and the rude and the rude strong workers who did it. "'The young traveller gazed out into this dismal country "'with a face of mingled repulsion and interest, "'which showed that the scene was new to him. "'At intervals he drew from his pocket a bulky letter to which he referred— "'and on the margins of which he scribbled some notes. "'Once from the back of his waist "'he produced something which one would hardly have expected "'to find in the possession of so mild-mannered a man. "'It was a navy revolver of the largest size. "'As he turned it slantwise to the light, "'the glint upon the rims of the copper shells within the drum "'showed that it was fully loaded. "'He quickly restored it to his secret pocket, "'but not before it had been observed by a working man "'who had seated himself upon the adjoining bench. "'Hello, mate,' said he. "'You seem healed and ready.' "'The young man smiled with an air of embarrassment. "'Yes,' said he. "'We need them sometimes in the place I come from. "'And where may they be?' "'I'm last from Chicago. "'A stranger in these parts. "'Yes. "'You may find you need it here,' said the workman. "'Ah, is that so?' "'The young man seemed interested. "'Have you heard nothing of doings hereabouts?' "'Nothing out of the way.' "'Why, I thought the country was full of it. "'You'll hear quick enough. "'What made you come here?' "'I heard there was always work for a willing man.' "'Are you a member of the Union?' "'Sure.' "'Then you'll get your job, I guess. "'Have you any friends?' "'Not yet, but I had the means of making them.' "'How's that, then?' "'I'm one of the eminent order of free men. "'There's no town without a lodge, "'and where there's a lodge I'll find my friends.' The remark had a singular effect upon his companion. He glanced round suspiciously at the others in the car. The miners were still whispering among themselves. The two police officers were dozing. He came across, seated himself close to the young traveller, and held out his hand. "'Put it there,' he said. A hand gripped passed between the two. "'I see you speak the truth,' said the workman. "'But it's well to make certain.' He raised his right hand to his right eyebrow. "'the traveller at once raised his left hand to his left eyebrow. "'Dark nights are unpleasant,' said the workman. "'Yes, for strangers to travel,' the other answered. "'That's good enough. 
I'm Brother Scanlon, Lodge 341, Vermissa Valley. Glad to see you in these parts. Thank you. I'm Brother John McMurdo, Lodge 29, Chicago. Body Master J.H. Scott. But I'm in luck to meet a brother so early. Well, there's plenty of us about. You won't find the order more flourishing anywhere in the States than right here in Vermissa Valley. But we could do with some lads like you. But I can't understand a spry man of the Union finding no work in Chicago. I've found plenty of work to do, said McMurdo. "'And why did you leave?' "'McMurdo nodded towards the policeman and smiled. "'I guess those chaps would be glad to know,' he said. "'Scanlon groaned sympathetically. "'In trouble?' he asked in a whisper. "'Deep. Penitentiary job. And the rest. Not a killing.' "'It's early days to talk of such things,' said McMurdo, "'with the air of a man who had been surprised into saying more than he intended. "'I have my own good reasons for leaving Chicago.' "'Let that be enough for you. "'Who are you that you should take it on yourself to ask such things?' "'His gray eyes gleamed with sudden and dangerous anger from behind the glasses. "'All right, mate. No offense meant. "'The boys will think none the worse of you, whatever you've done. "'Where are you bound for now?' "'Vermissa. That's the third halt down the line. "'Where are you staying?' "'McMurdo took out an envelope and held it close to the murky oil lamp. "'Here's the address. Jacob Shafter, Sheridan Street.' It's a boarding house that was recommended by a man I know in Chicago. Well, I don't know it, but Vermissa's out of my beat. I live at Obson's Patch, and that's here where we're drawing up. But say, there's one bit of advice I'll give you before we part. If you're in trouble in Vermissa, go straight to the Union House and see Boss McGinty. He is the body master of Vermissa Lodge, and nothing can happen in these parts unless Black Jack McGinty wants it. So long, mate. Maybe we'll meet in Lodge one of these evenings. "'But mind my words, if you're in trouble, go to Boss McGinty.' Scanlon descended, and McMurdo was left once again to his thoughts. Night had now fallen, and the flames of the frequent furnaces were roaring and leaping in the darkness. Against their lurid background, dark figures were bending and straining, twisting and turning, with the motion of winch or of windlass, to the rhythm of an eternal clank and roar. "'I guess hell must look something like that,' said a voice." McMurdo turned and saw that one of the policemen had shifted in his seat and was staring out into the fiery waste. "'For that matter,' said the other policeman, "'I allow that hell must be something like that. "'If there are worse devils down yonder than some we could name, "'it's more than I'd expect. "'I guess you're new to this part, eh, young man?' "'Well, what if I am?' McMurdo answered in a surly voice. "'Just this, mister, "'that I should advise you to be careful in choosing your friends.' "'I don't think I'd begin with Mike Scanlon or his gang if I were you.' "'What the hell is it to you who are my friends?' "'Word McMurdo, in a voice which brought every head in the carriage round to witness the altercation. "'Did I ask you for your advice, or did you think me such a sucker that I couldn't move without it? "'You speak when you're spoken to, and by the Lord you'd have to wait a long time if it was me.' "'He thrust out his face and grinned at the patrolman like a snarling dog. "'The two policemen, heavy, heavy, good-natured men, were taken aback by the extraordinary vehemence with which their friendly advances had been rejected. "'No offense, stranger,' said one. "'It was a warning for your own good, seeing that you are, by your own showing, new to the place.' "'I'm not—I'm new to the place, but I'm not new to you and your kind,' cried McMurdo in cold fury. "'I guess you're the same in all places, shoving your advice in when nobody asks for it.' "'Well, maybe we'll see more of you before very long,' said one of the patrolmen with a grin. 
"'You're a real hand-picked one, if I'm a judge.' "'Yeah, I was thinking the same,' remarked the other. "'I guess we may meet again.' "'I'm not afraid of you, and don't you think it,' cried McMurdo. "'My name's Jack McMurdo. See? "'If you want me, you'll find me at Jacob Shafter's on Sheridan Street. "'Vermissa. So I'm not hiding from you, am I? "'Day or night I dare to look the like of you in the face. "'Don't make any mistake about that.' There was a murmur of sympathy and admiration for the miners at the dauntless demeanor of the newcomer, while the two policemen shrugged their shoulders and renewed a conversation between themselves. A few minutes later the train ran into the ill-lit station, and there was a general clearing, for Vermissa was by far the largest town on the line. McMurdo picked up his leather gripsack and was about to start off into the darkness when one of the miners accosted him. "'By gar, mate, you know how to speak to the cops,' he said in a voice of awe. "'It was grand to hear you.' "'Let me carry your grip and show you the road. "'I'm passing shafters on the way to my own shack.' "'There was a chorus of friendly good nights "'from the other miners as they passed from the platform. "'Before ever he had set foot in it, "'McMurdo the Turbulent had become a character in Vermissa. "'The country had been a place of terror, "'but the town was in its way even more depressing. "'Down that long valley there was at least "'a certain gloomy grandeur in the huge fires "'and the clouds of drifting smoke.' while the strength and industry of man found fitting monuments in the hills which he had spilled by the side of his monstrous excavations. But the town showed a dead level of mean ugliness and squalor. The broad street was churned up by the traffic into a horrible rutted paste of muddy snow. The sidewalks were narrow and uneven. The numerous gas lamps served only to show more clearly a long line of wooden houses, each with its veranda facing the street, unkempt and dirty. As they approached the center of the town, the scene was brightened by a row of well-lit stores, and even more by a cluster of saloons and gaming houses, in which the miners spent their hard-earned but generous wages. "'That's the Union House,' said the guide, pointing to one saloon which rose almost to the dignity of being a hotel. "'Jack McGinty's the boss there.' "'What sort of man is he?' McMurdo asked. "'What? Have you never heard of the boss?' "'How could I have heard of him when you know that I'm a stranger in these parts?' "'Well, I thought his name was known clear across the country. "'It's been in the papers often enough.' "'What for?' "'Well,' the miner lowered his voice, "'over the affairs.' "'What affairs?' "'Good Lord, mister, you are queer, "'if I must say it without offense. "'There's only one set of affairs that you'll hear of in these parts, "'and that's the affairs of the Scourers.' "'Yeah, I seem to have read of the Scourers in Chicago. "'A gang of murderers, are they not?' "'Hush on your life!' cried the miner, standing still in alarm, and gazing in amazement at his companion. "'Man, you won't live long in these parts if you speak in the open street like that. Many a man has had the light beaten out of him for less. Well, I know nothing about them. It's only what I've read.' "'And I'm not saying that you haven't read the truth.' The man looked nervously round him as he spoke, peering into the shadows as if he feared to see some lurking danger. "'If killing is murder,' "'And God knows there's murder to spare here. "'But don't you dare to breathe the name of Jack McGinty "'in connection with it, stranger, "'for every whisper goes back to him, "'and he's not one that's likely to let it pass. "'Now that's the house you're after, right there, "'that one standing back from the street. "'You'll find old Jacob Shafter that runs it "'as honest a man as lives in this township.' "'I thank you,' said McMurdo, "'and shaking hands with his new acquaintance, "'he plodded, gripsack in hand, "'up the path which led to the dwelling-house, "'at the door of which he gave a resounding knock. "'It was opened at once by someone very different from what he had expected. "'It was a woman, young and singularly beautiful. "'She was of the German type, 
blonde and fair-haired, with the piquant contrast of a pair of beautiful dark eyes with which she surveyed the stranger with surprise and a pleasing embarrassment which brought a wave of color over her pale face. Framed in the bright light of the open doorway, it seemed to McBurdle that he had never seen a more beautiful picture, the more attractive for its contrast with the sordid and gloomy surroundings. A lovely violet growing upon one of those black slag heaps of the mines would not have seemed more surprising. So entranced was he that he stood staring without a word, and it was she who finally broke the silence. "'I thought it was father,' said she with a pleasing little touch of a German accent. "'Did you come to see him?' "'He's downtown. I expect him back every minute.' McMurdo continued to gaze at her in open admiration until his eyes dropped in confusion before this masterful visitor. "'No, miss,' he said at last. "'I'm in no hurry to see him, but your house was recommended to me for board. I thought it might suit me, and now I know it will.' "'You are quick to make up your mind,' said she with a smile. "'Anyone but a blind man could do as much,' the other answered. She laughed at the compliment. "'Come right in, sir,' she said. "'I am Miss Eddie Shafter, Mr. Shafter's daughter. "'My mother's dead, and I run the house. "'You can sit down by the stove in the front room till father comes along. "'Ah, here he is. "'So you can fix things with him right away.' A heavy, elderly man came plodding up the path. In a few words, McBurdo explained his business. A man of the name of Murphy had given him the address in Chicago. He, in turn, had had it from someone else. Old Shafter was quite ready. The stranger made no bones about terms, agreed at once to every condition, and was apparently fairly flush of money. For seven dollars a week paid in advance, he was to have board and lodging. So it was that McMurdo, the self-confessed fugitive from justice, took up his abode under the roof of the Shafters, the first step which was to lead to so long and dark a train of events ending in a far distant land. We'll return with Chapter 2 right after these sponsor messages. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now part two, chapter two, The Valley of Fear, The Body Master. McBurdo was a man who made his mark quickly. Wherever he was, the folk around soon knew it. Within a week, he had become infinitely the most important person at Shafters. There were ten or a dozen boarders there, but they were honest foremen or commonplace clerks from the stores, of a very different caliber from the young Irishman. 
"'Of an evening when they gathered together "'his joke was always the readiest, "'his conversation the brightest, "'and his song the best. "'He was a born boon companion "'with a magnetism which drew good humor "'from all around him. "'And yet he showed again and again, "'as he had shown in the railway carriage, "'a capacity for sudden, fierce anger, "'which compelled the respect "'and even the fear of those who met him. "'For the law, too, "'and all who were connected with it, "'he exhibited a bitter contempt "'which delighted some "'and alarmed others of his fellow boarders.' From the first he made it evident, by his open admiration, that the daughter of the house had won his heart from the instant that he had set eyes upon her beauty and her grace. He was no backward suitor. On the second day he told her that he loved her, and from then onward he repeated the same story with absolute disregard of what she might say to discourage him. "'Someone else?' he would cry. "'Well, the worst luck for someone else. Let him look out for himself. Am I to lose my life's chance and all my heart's desire for someone else?' "'You can keep on saying no, Eddie. "'The day will come when you will say yes, "'and I'm young enough to wait.' "'He was a dangerous suitor "'with his glib Irish tongue "'and his pretty coaxing ways. "'There was about him also "'that glamour of experience and of mystery "'which attracts a woman's interest, "'and finally her love. "'He could talk of the sweet valleys "'of County Monaghan from which he came, "'of the lovely distant island, "'the low hills and green meadows "'of which seemed the more beautiful "'when imagination viewed them "'from this place of grime and snow.' Then he was versed in the life of the cities of the North, of Detroit, and of the lumber camps of Michigan, and finally of Chicago, where he had worked in a planing mill. And afterwards came the hint of romance, the feeling that strange things had happened to him in that great city, so strange and so intimate that they might not be spoken of. He spoke wistfully of a sudden leaving, a breaking of old ties, a flight into a strange world, ending in this dreary valley, and Eddie listened, her dark eyes gleaming with pity and with sympathy. "'those two qualities which may turn so rapidly "'and so naturally to love. "'McMurdo had attained a temporary job as bookkeeper "'for he was a well-educated man. "'This kept him out most of the day, "'and he had not found occasion yet "'to report himself to the head of the lodge "'of the eminent order of freemen. "'He was reminded of his omission, however, "'by a visit one evening from Mike Scanlon, "'the fellow member whom he had met in the train. "'Scanlon, the small, sharp-faced, "'nervous, black-eyed man, "'seemed glad to see him once more.' After a glass or two of whiskey, he broached the subject of his visit. "'Say, McMurdo,' said he, "'I remembered your address, so I made bold to call. I'm surprised that you've not reported to the bodymaster. Why haven't you seen Boss McGinty yet?' "'Well, I had to find a job. I've been busy. You must find time for him, if you have none for anything else. Good Lord, man! You're a fool not to have been down to the Union House and register your name the first morning after you came here. If you run against him—' "'Well, you don't. That's all.' McMurdo showed mild surprise. "'I've been a member of the lodge for over two years, Scanlon, "'but I never heard the duties were so pressing as all that.' "'Maybe not in Chicago.' "'Well, it's the same society here. Is it?' Scanlon looked at him long and fixedly. There was something sinister in his eyes. "'Isn't it?' "'You'll tell me that in a month's time.' "'I hear you had a talk with the patrolman after I left the train. "'How did you know that?' "'Oh, it got about. "'Things do get about for good and for bad in this district.' "'Well, yes, I did. "'I told the hounds what I thought of them.' "'By the Lord, you'll be a man after McGinty's heart.' "'What, does he hate the police, too?' "'Scanlon burst out laughing. "'You go and see him, my lad,' said he as he took his leave. "'It's not the police but you that he'll hate if you don't. "'Now take a friend's advice and go at once.' 
It chanced that on the same evening McMurdo had another more pressing interview which urged him in the same direction. It may have been that his attentions to Eddie had been more evident than before, or that they had gradually obtruded themselves into the slow mind of his good German host, but whatever the cause, the boarding-house keeper beckoned the young man into his private room and started on the subject without any circumlocution. "'It seems to me, mister,' said he, "'that you are getting set on my Eddie. Ain't that so, or am I wrong?' "'Yes, that is so,' the young man answered. "'Well, I want to tell you right now that it ain't no manner of use. There's someone slipped in before you.' "'Yeah, she told me so. "'Well, you can lay that she told you the truth.' "'But did she tell you who it was?' "'No, I asked her, but she wouldn't tell. "'I dare say not, the little baggage. "'Perhaps she did not wish to frighten you of A.' "'Frighten?' "'McMurdo was on fire in a moment. "'Ah, yes, my friend. "'You need not be ashamed to be frightened of him. "'It is Teddy Baldwin.' "'And who the devil is he? "'He's a boss of the Scourers. "'Ah, the Scourers. "'I heard of them before. "'It's Scourers here and Scourers there.' "'and always in a whisper. "'What are you all afraid of? "'Who are the scourers?' "'The boarding-house keeper instinctively sank his voice, "'as everyone did who talked about that terrible society. "'The scourers here,' said he, "'are the eminent order of freemen.' "'The young man stared. "'Why, I'm a member of that order myself.' "'You? "'I would never have had you in my house if I'd known it, "'not if you were to pay me a hundred dollar a week.' "'What's wrong with the order? "'It's for charity and good fellowship. "'The rules say so. "'Maybe in some places. "'Not here.' "'What is it here? "'It's a murder society. "'That's what it is.' "'McMurdo laughed incredulously. "'How can you prove that?' "'He asked. "'Prove it? "'Are there not fifty murders to prove it? "'What about Milman and Van Schorst "'and the Nicholson family "'and old Mr. Hyam "'and little Billy James "'and the others?' "'Prove it! Is there a man or woman in this valley that does not know of it?' "'See here,' said McMurdo earnestly. "'I want you to take back what you said, or else make it good. "'One or the other you must do before I quit this room. "'Put yourself in my place. "'Here I am, a stranger in a town. "'I belong to a society that I know only as an innocent one. "'You'll find it through the length and breadth of the United States, "'but always as an innocent one. "'Now, when I am counting upon joining it here,' "'You tell me that it is the same as a murder society called the Scourers. "'I guess you owe me either an apology or an explanation, Mr. Shafter. "'I can but tell you that the whole world knows, mister. "'The bosses of one are the bosses of the other. "'If you offend the one, it's the other that will strike you. "'We've proved it too often.' "'That's just gossip. I want proof,' said McMurdo. "'If you live here long enough, you will get your proof.' "'But I forget that you are yourself one of them. "'You will soon be bad as the rest. "'But you will find other lodgings, mister. "'I cannot have you here. "'Is it not bad enough that one of these people "'come courting my Eddie, "'and that I dare not turn him down, "'but that I should have another from my border? "'Yes, indeed. "'You shall not sleep here after tonight.' "'McMurdo found himself under sentence of banishment "'both from his comfortable quarters "'and from the girl whom he loved. "'He found her alone in the sitting-room that same evening.' "'and he poured his troubles into her ear. "'Sure, your father's after giving me notice,' he said. "'It's little would I care if it was just my room. "'But indeed, Eddie, though it's only a week I've known you, "'you're the very breath of life to me, "'and I can't live without you.' "'Oh, hush, Mr. McMurdo, don't speak so,' said the girl. 
"'I've told you, have I not, that you are too late. "'There is another, and if I've not promised to marry him at once, "'I at least can promise no one else. "'Suppose I had been first, Eddie. "'Would I have had a chance?' "'The girl sank her face into her hands. "'I wish to heaven that you'd been first. "'She sobbed. "'McMurdo was down on his knees before her in an instant. "'For God's sake, Eddie, let it stand at that,' he cried. "'Will you ruin your life and my own for the sake of this promise? "'Follow your heart, Akushla. "'Tis a safer guide than any promise before you knew what it was that you were saying.' "'He had seized Eddie's white hand between his own strong brown ones. "'Say that you'll be mine, and we'll face it out together.' "'Not here.' "'Yes, here.' "'No, no, Jack.' "'His arms were round her now. "'It couldn't be here. "'Could you take me away?' "'A struggle passed for a moment over McMurdo's face, "'but it ended by setting like granite. "'No. "'Here,' he said. "'I'll hold you against the world, Eddie, "'right here where we are. "'Why should we not leave together?' "'No, Eddie. "'I can't leave here.' "'But why?' I'd never hold my head up again if I felt that I'd been driven out. Besides, what is there to be afraid of? Are we not free folks in a free country? If you love me, and I you, who will dare to come between? You don't know, Jack. You've been here too short a time. You don't know this Baldwin. You don't know McGinty and his scours. No, I don't know them, and I don't fear them, and I don't believe in them, said McMurdo. I've lived among rough men, my darling, "'and instead of fearing them, it has always ended that they have feared me. "'Always, Eddie. It's mad on the face of it. "'If these men, as your father says, have done crime after crime in the valley, "'and if everyone knows them by name, how comes it that none are brought to justice? "'You answer me that, Eddie.' "'Because no witness dares to appear against them. "'He would not live a month if he did. "'Also because they have always their own men to swear that the accused one was far from the scene of the crime. "'But surely, Jack,' "'You must have read all this. "'I had understood that every paper in the United States "'was writing about it. "'Well, I have read something, it's true, "'but I had thought it was a story. "'Maybe these men have some reason in what they do. "'Maybe they are wronged "'and have no other way to help themselves. "'Oh, Jack, don't let me hear you speak so. "'That is how he speaks, the other one. "'Baldwin, he speaks like that, does he? "'And that is why I loathe him so. "'Oh, Jack, now I can tell you the truth.' I loathe him with all my heart, but I fear him also. I fear him for myself, but above all, I fear him for father. I know that some great sorrow would come upon us if I dared to say what I really felt. That is why I put him off with half-promises. It was in real truth our only hope, but if you would fly out of here with me, Jack, we would take father with us and live forever far from the power of these wicked men. Again there was the struggle upon McMurdo's face, and again it set like granite. No harm shall come to you, Eddie. "'nor to your father, either. "'As to wicked men, "'I expect you may find that I am as bad "'as the worst of them before we're through.' "'No, no, Jack. "'I would trust you anywhere.' "'McMurdo laughed bitterly. "'Good Lord, how little you know of me. "'Your innocent soul, my darling, "'could not even guess what is passing in mine. "'But hello. "'Who's the visitor?' "'The door had opened suddenly, "'and a young fellow came swaggering in "'with the air of one who is the master.' He was a handsome, dashing young man of about the same age and build as McMurdo himself. Under his broad-brimmed black felt hat, which he had not troubled to remove, a handsome face with fierce domineering eyes and a curved hawkbill of a nose looked savagely at the pair who sat by the stove. 
Eddie had jumped to her feet full of confusion and alarm. "'I'm glad to see you, Mr. Baldwin,' said she. "'You're earlier than I had thought. Come and sit down.' Baldwin stood with his hands on his hips looking at McMurdo. "'Who's this?' he asked curtly. "'It's a friend of mine, Mr. Baldwin, a new boarder here, Mr. McMurdo. May I introduce you to Mr. Baldwin?' The young men nodded in surly fashion to each other. "'Maybe Miss Eddie has told you how it is with us?' said Baldwin. "'I didn't understand there was any relationship between you.' "'Oh, didn't you? Well, you can understand it now. You can take it from me that this young lady is mine, and you'll find it a very fine evening for a walk.' "'Well, thanks, but I'm in no humor for a walk.' "'Aren't you?' The man's savage eyes were blazing with anger. "'Maybe you're in a humor for a fight, Mr. Border. "'That I am!' "'cried McMurdo, springing to his feet. "'You never said a more welcome word.' "'For God's sake, Jack! "'Oh, for God's sake!' "'cried poor, distracted Eddie. "'Oh, Jack! "'Jack! "'He will hurt you!' "'Oh, it's Jack, is it?' "'said Baldwin with an oath. "'You've come to that already, have you?' "'Oh, Ted, be reasonable. "'Be kind. "'For my sake, Ted, "'if ever you loved me, "'be big-hearted and forgiving.' "'I think, Eddie,' "'that if you were to leave us alone, we could get this thing settled,' said McMurdo quietly. "'Or maybe, Mr. Baldwin, you will take a turn down the street with me. "'It's a fine evening, and there's some open ground beyond the next block. "'In fact, I'll get even with you without even needing to dirty my hands,' said his enemy. "'You'll wish you never had set foot in this house before I'm through with you.' "'No time like the present,' cried McMurdo. "'I'll choose my own time, mister. You can leave the time to me. "'See here.' He suddenly rolled up his sleeve and showed upon his forearm a peculiar sign which appeared to have been branded there. It was a circle with a triangle within it. "'You know what that means? I neither know nor care,' said McMurdo. "'Well, you will know. I'll promise you that. You won't be much older, either. Perhaps Miss Eddie can tell you something about it. As to you, Eddie, you'll come back to me on your knees. Do you hear, girl? On your knees. And then I'll tell you what your punishment may be. You've sowed, and by the Lord—' "'I'll see that you reap.' He glanced at them both in fury. Then he turned upon his heel, and an instant later the outer door had banged behind him. For a few moments McMurdo and the girl stood in silence. Then she threw her arms around him. "'Oh, Jack, how brave you were! But it is no use. You must fly. Tonight, Jack, tonight. It's your only hope. He will have your life. I read it in his horrible eyes. What chance have you against a dozen of them?' "'with Boss McGinty and all the power of the lodge behind them.' "'McMurdo disengaged her hands, kissed her, "'and gently pushed her back into a chair. "'There, there, Akushla. "'Don't be disturbed or fear for me. "'I'm a freeman myself. "'I'm after telling your father about it. "'Maybe I'm no better than the others, "'so don't make a saint of me. "'Perhaps you hate me, too, "'now that I've told you as much.' "'Hate you, Jack? "'While life lasts, I could never do that.' "'I've heard that there is no harm in being a freeman anywhere but here, "'so why should I think the worse of you for that? "'But if you are a freeman, Jack, "'why should you not go down and make a friend of Boss McGinty? "'Hurry, Jack, get your word in first, "'or the hounds will be on your trail.' "'I was thinking the same thing,' said McMurdo. "'I'll go right now and fix it. "'You can tell your father that I'll sleep here tonight "'and find some other quarters in the morning.' "'The bar of McGinty's saloon was crowded as usual,' "'for it was the favorite loafing place "'of all the rougher elements of the town. "'The man was popular, "'for he had a rough, jovial disposition "'which formed a mask, "'covering a great deal which lay behind it. "'But apart from this popularity, 
the fear in which he was held throughout the township, and indeed down the whole thirty miles of the valley and past the mountains on each side of it, was enough in itself to fill his bar, for none could afford to neglect his good will. Besides those secret powers which it was universally believed that he exercised in so pitiless a fashion, he was a high public official, a municipal councillor, and a commissioner of roads, elected to the office through the votes of the ruffians who expected to receive favors at his hands. Assessments and taxes were enormous. The public works were notoriously neglected. The accounts were slurred over by bribed auditors, and the decent citizen was terrorized into paying public blackmail and holding his tongue lest some worse thing befall him. Thus it was that, year by year, Boss McGinty's diamond pins became more obtrusive, his gold chains more weighty across a more gorgeous vest, and his saloon stretched farther and farther until it threatened to absorb one whole side of the market square. McMurdo pushed open the swinging door of the saloon and made his way amid the crowd of men within, through an atmosphere blurred with tobacco smoke and heavy with the smell of spirits. The place was brilliantly lighted, and the huge, heavily gilt mirrors upon every wall reflected and multiplied the garish illumination. There were several bartenders in their shirt sleeves, hard at work mixing drinks for the loungers who fringed the broad, brass-trimmed counter. At the far end, with his body resting upon the bar and a cigar stuck at an acute angle from the corner of his mouth, stood a tall, strong, heavily built man who could be none other than the famous McGinty himself. He was a black-maned giant, bearded to the cheekbones, and with a shock of raven hair which fell to his collar. His complexion was as swarthy as that of an Italian, and his eyes were of a strange dead black, which, combined with a slight squint, gave them a particularly sinister appearance. All else in the man, his noble proportions, his fine features, and his frank bearing, fitted into with that jovial, man-to-man manner which he affected. Here, one would say, is a bluff, honest fellow, whose heart would be sound, however rude his outspoken words might seem. It was only when those dead, dark eyes, deep and remorseless, were turned upon a man that he shrank within himself, feeling that he was face to face with an infinite possibility of latent evil, with a strength and courage and cunning behind it, which made it a thousand times more deadly. Having had a good look at his man, McMurdo elbowed his way forward with his usual careless audacity, and pushed himself through the little group of courtiers who were fawning upon the powerful boss, laughing uproariously at the smallest of his jokes. The young stranger's bold gray eyes looked back fearlessly through their glasses at the deadly black ones which turned sharply upon him. "'Well, young man, I can't call your face to mind.' "'I'm new here, Mr. McGinty,' said McMurdo. "'You're not so new that you can't give a gentleman his proper title.' "'He's Councillor McGinty, young man,' said a voice from the group. "'I'm sorry, Councillor. I'm strange to the ways of the place, but I was advised to see you.' "'Well, you see me. This is all there is. What'd you think of me?' "'Well, it's early days. If your heart's as big as your body, and your soul as fine as your face, then I'd ask for nothing better,' said McMurdo. "'By gar, you got an Irish tongue in your head anyhow,' cried the saloon-keeper, not quite certain whether to humor this audacious visitor or to stand upon his dignity. "'So you're good enough to pass my appearance?' "'Sure,' said McMurdo. "'And you were told to see me?' "'I was. And who told you?' "'Brother Scanlon of Lodge 341, Vermissa. "'I drink to your health, counselor, and to our better acquaintance.' He raised a glass with which he'd been served to his lips and elevated his little finger as he drank it. McGinty, who had been watching him narrowly, "'raised his thick black eyebrows. "'Oh, it's like that, is it?' said he. "'I'll have to look a bit closer into this, Mr. McMurdo. 
"'for we don't take folk on trust in these parts, "'nor believe all we're told, neither. "'Come in here for a moment, behind the bar.' "'There was a small room there, lined with barrels. "'McGinty carefully closed the door, "'and then seated himself on one of them, "'biting thoughtfully on his cigar "'and surveying his companion with those disquieting eyes. "'For a couple of minutes he sat in complete silence. "'McMurdo bore the inspection cheerfully, "'one hand in his coat pocket, "'the other twisting his brown moustache. "'Suddenly McGinty stooped and produced a wicked-looking revolver. "'See here, my joker,' said he. "'If I thought you were playing any game on us, "'it would be short work for you.' "'This is a strange welcome,' McMurdo answered with some dignity, "'for the body-master of a lodge of freemen to give to a stranger brother.' "'Aye, but it's just that saying that you have to prove,' said McGinty. "'And God help you if you fail. "'Where were you made?' "'Lodge 29, Chicago. "'When?' "'June 24, 1872. "'What bodymaster? "'James H. Scott. "'Who's your district ruler? "'Bartholomew Wilson. "'Hm. "'You seem glib enough in your test. "'What are you doing here? "'Working, same as you, "'but a poorer job. "'You have your back answer quick enough. "'Yes, I was always quick of speech. "'Are you quick of action? "'I've had that name among those who knew me best. "'But we may try you sooner than you think.' "'Have you heard anything of the lodge in these parts? "'I've heard that it takes a man to be a brother. "'True for you, Mr. McMurdo. "'Why did you leave Chicago?' "'I'm damned if I tell you that.' "'McGinty opened his eyes. "'He was not used to being answered in such fashion, "'and it amused him. "'Why won't you tell me?' "'Because no brother may tell another a lie. "'Then the truth is too bad to tell. "'You can put it that way, if you like. "'See here, mister.' "'You can't expect me, as bodymaster, "'to pass into the lodge a man for whose past he can't answer.' "'McMurdo looked puzzled. "'Then he took a worn newspaper cutting from an inner pocket. "'You wouldn't squeal on a fellow?' said he. "'I'll wipe my hand across your face if you say such words to me,' "'cried McGinty hotly. "'Well, you're right, Counselor,' said McMurdo meekly. "'I should apologize. I spoke without thought. "'Well, I know that I'm safe in your hands. "'Look at that clipping.' McGinty glanced his eyes over the account of the shooting of one Jonas Pinto in the Lake Saloon, Market Street, Chicago, in the New Year week of 1874. "'Your work?' he asked as he handed back the paper. McMurdo nodded. "'Why did you shoot him?' "'I was helping Uncle Sam to make dollars. Maybe mine were not as good gold as his, but they looked as well and were cheaper to make. This man Pinto helped me to shove the queer—' "'To do what?' "'Well, it means to pass the dollars out into circulation.' Then he said he would split. Maybe he did split. I didn't wait to see. I just killed him and lighted out for the coal country. Why the coal country? Because I'd read in the papers that they weren't too particular in those parts. McGinty laughed. You were first a coiner and then a murderer, and you came to these parts because you thought you'd be welcome. Yeah, that's about the size of it, McMurdo answered. Well, I guess you'll go far. Say, can you make those dollars yet? "'McMurdo took a half a dozen from his pocket. "'Those never passed the Philadelphia Mint,' said he. "'You don't say.' "'McGinty held them to the light in his enormous hand, "'which was hairy as a gorilla's. "'I can see no difference. "'Gar, you'll be a mighty useful brother, I'm thinking. "'We can do with a bad man or two among us, friend McMurdo, "'for there are times when we have to take our own part. "'We'd soon be against the wall if we didn't shove back at those who were pushing us.' "'Well, I guess I'll do my share of shoving with the rest of the boys.' 
"'You seem to have good nerve. "'You didn't squirm when I shoved this gun at you.' "'It wasn't me that was in danger.' "'Who, then?' "'It was you, Counselor. "'McMurdo drew a cocked pistol from the side of his pea-jacket. "'I was covering you all the time. "'I guess my shot would have been as quick as yours.' "'By gar!' "'McGinty flushed an angry red "'and then burst into a roar of laughter. "'Say, we've had no such holy terror come to hand this many a year. "'I reckon the lodge will learn to be proud of you.' "'At that point the bartender knocked on the door.' "'Well, what do you want? "'And can't I speak alone with a gentleman for five minutes, "'but you must butt in on us?' "'The bartender stood abashed. "'I'm sorry, Counselor, but it's Ted Baldwin. "'He says he must see you this very minute.' "'The message was unnecessary, "'for the set, cruel face of the man himself "'was looking over the servant's shoulder. "'He pushed the bartender out and closed the door on him. "'So,' said he with a furious glance at McMurdo, "'you got here first, did you? "'I've a word to say to you, Counselor, about this man.' "'Then say it here now before my face,' cried McMurdo. "'I'll say it at my own time and in my own way.' "'Tut, tut,' said McGinty, getting off his barrel. "'This will never do. "'We have a new brother here, Baldwin, "'and it's not for us to greet him in such fashion. "'Hold out your hand, man, and make it up.' "'Never!' cried Baldwin in a fury. "'I've offered to fight him if he thinks I've wronged him,' said McMurdo. "'I'll fight him with fists, or if that won't satisfy him, "'I'll fight him any other way he chooses. "'Now I'll leave it to you, Counselor, "'to judge between us as a bodymaster should. "'What is it, then? "'A young lady. "'She's free to choose for herself.' "'Is she?' cried Baldwin. "'As between two brothers of the lodge, "'I should say that she was,' said the boss. "'All that's your ruling, is it?' "'Yes, it is, Ted Baldwin,' said McGinty, "'with a wicked stare. "'Is it you that would dispute it?' "'You would throw over one who has stood by you this five years "'in favor of a man that you never saw before in your life? "'You're not bodymaster for life, Jack McGinty. "'And by God, when next it comes to a vote!' "'The counselor sprang at him like a tiger. "'His hand closed around the other's neck, "'and he hurled him back across one of the barrels. "'In his mad fury he would have squeezed the life out of him "'if McMurdo had not interfered. "'Easy, counselor! For heaven's sake, go easy!' "'he cried as he dragged him back. McGinty released his hold, and Baldwin, cowed and shaken, gasping for breath, and quivering in every limb, as one who has looked over the very edge of death, sat up on the barrel over which he'd been hurled. "'You've been asking for it this many a day, Ted Baldwin, and now you've got it,' cried McGinty, his huge chest rising and falling. "'Maybe you think if I was voted down from Bodymaster you would find yourself in my shoes. It's for the lodge to say that. But so long as I'm the chief, I'll have no man lift his voice against me or my rulings.' "'I've got nothing against you,' mumbled Baldwin, feeling his throat. "'Well, then,' cried the other, relapsing in a moment into bluff joviality, "'we are all good friends again, and there's an end of the matter.' He took a bottle of champagne down from the shelf and twisted out the cork. "'See now,' he continued, as he filled three high glasses, "'let us drink the quarreling toast to the lodge. After that, as you know, there can be no bad blood between us.' "'Now, then the left hand on the apple of my throat. "'I say to you, Ted Baldwin, what's the offense, sir?' "'The clouds are heavy,' answered Baldwin. "'But they will forever brighten.' "'And this I swear.' "'The men drank their glasses, "'and the same ceremony was performed between Baldwin and McMurdo. "'There!' cried McGinty, rubbing his hands. "'That's the end of the black blood. "'You come under lodge discipline if it goes further, "'and that's a heavy hand in these parts, 
as Brother Baldwin knows, and as you will damn soon find out, Brother McMurdo, if you ask for trouble. Faith, I'd be slow to do that, said McMurdo. He held out his hand to Baldwin. I'm quick to quarrel and quick to forgive. It's my hot Irish blood, they tell me, but it's over for me, and I bear no grudge. Baldwin had to take the proffered hand, for the baleful eye of the terrible boss was upon him, but his sullen face showed how little the words of the other had moved him. McGinty clapped them both on the shoulders. "'Tut! These girls! These girls!' he cried. "'To think that the same petticoat should come between two of my boys. It's the devil's own luck. Well, it's the colleen inside of them that must settle the question, for it's outside the jurisdiction of a body-master, and the Lord be praised for that. We have enough on us without the women as well.' "'You have to be affiliated to Lodge 341, Brother McMurdo. "'We have our own ways and methods, different from Chicago. "'Saturday night is our meeting, and if you come then, "'we'll make you free forever of the Vermissa Valley.'" Join us next week Sunday night for Chapter 3, Lodge 341, Vermissa. We hope you enjoyed Chapters 1 and 2 from The Valley of Fear, a Sherlock Holmes mystery from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. If you enjoy our show, please do send us a review for 1001 Sherlock Holmes stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.